We uh, are looking at the life of David, and uh, we have seen how a grateful King Saul brought David into his own household after David killed Goliath, and was Saul ever relieved to be rid of a fearsome enemy? And of course, uh, David saved the whole Israelite army. But pretty soon, Saul became insanely jealous of David's success and his popularity. In fact, so jealous was he of David that he tried to pin David to the wall with a spear on more than one occasion. Poor David, you know, he was was the king's minstrel. He'd play his instrument, his lyre, and then all of a sudden Saul would get into this rage (laughs) and Saul would grab his spear and try and pin David to the wall. Terrible. At first, David tried to ride ride this all out, uh, hoping to remain within within Saul's household. Uh, after After all, he hadn't done nothing wrong. He wasn't working against the king. He had no desire to become King Saul's permanent enemy. And so he thought that perhaps uh, these evil fits, these fits of rage that King King Saul suffered would somehow diminish and go away. Well, it didn't turn out that way because it became more and more apparent that uh, Saul would no longer tolerate David's presence. So it was a terrible, dangerous time in young David's life. Saul was one powerful adversary, and chances are David wouldn't have survived without the friendship of King Saul's son, Jonathan. And what a friend he proved to be. He offered support and encouragement to to David when he needed it most in his life. And their friendship is beautifully described in the first, first book of Samuel, chapter 18. We looked at this passage last time. Uh, this is still at a time when, when David enjoyed King Saul's favor. And so we read, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his own family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the the robe he was wearing, you know, his royal robes, gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. David needed a friend like that. We all do. We were never meant to to go it in life alone. In Genesis chapter 2, we read that it is not good for a man to be alone. We are relational by nature. We are not completely human. We're not made whole unless other people are in our lives. All of us need a little help from our friends. So like David, we all face trials and troubles and tribulations in this life. And I got to tell you, without friends, without close friends, we are liable to break down. Friendship is what sustains our life. Friends hold us up when everything seems to be falling apart. There are all kinds of studies that show that friendship is important to our physical and mental health. The more close friends you have, the greater your life expectancy. I mean, there's all kinds of studies that show that. You are blessed if you have friends in your life. It's good for you. It's good for your health. It's good for your life. 
But on, one, on more than one occasion, Jonathan went to bat for David, speaking a good word on his behalf to the king. Jonathan warned David of, king's, of the king's plans to kill him and helped David escape. And uh, so in the 19th chapter of 1 Samuel, we see Jonathan in action. And so we read, Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and warned him, My father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you, and I'll tell you what I find out. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel, and you saw it, Dad, (laughs) and we were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? Saul listened to Jonathan and took took this oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. So Jonathan called David and told him the whole conversation. He brought him to Saul, and David was with Saul as before. Oh, but there's more to the story. Once more, war broke out. David went out and fought the Philistines, struck them with such force that they fled before him. But an evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand. And while David was playing the lyre, uh-oh, here we go again. Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear. But David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made good his escape. Oh, man. Thank the Lord for Jonathan. Warned his friend of his father's plot against him to kill him. I mean, what a friend. David couldn't have been more blessed than to have a Jonathan in his life, especially as he was about to face future challenges. And what drew them so close to each other, what drew David and Jonathan so close together was their common commitment to the Lord. Because when you read about their relationship in the book of Samuel, these two men are always saying to each other things like, the Lord watch between you and me. The Lord judge between you and me. That is, the Lord was at the center of their friendship, drawing them together into a special kind of bond. And when people know the Lord, when we have that common commitment to Him, indeed, the ties that bind are strengthened. There's a special bond created, which is why, as a Christian, you can go to other parts of the world and be with, uh, be with Christians, and you will feel as though you are truly with family. You know them to be your brothers and sisters in the Lord. There is a tie that binds because of your common allegiance to Christ that actually is stronger than blood ties, and it's a beautiful thing. And so David and Jonathan's friendship, centered in the Lord, uh, became ever closer and deepened as time went on. So what was it about Jonathan's friendship with David that proved to be such a gift to David? Well, Jonathan pledged to David his unconditional loyalty. 
He promised to stick with him through thick and thin, no matter what, in good times and bad, in sickness and in health. Jonathan made a covenant with David, as we read, a promise to be there for him no matter what. And he was loyal to the end. And that's true love. Do you have a friend like that? Now, I know you're all familiar with The Lord of the Rings, which is the, you know, the famous trilogy written by J.R.R. Tolkien. And the novels have been made into a series of films. The Fellowship of the Ring was the first book and the first uh, movie in the series. Frodo Baggins, a hobbit, is given the unenviable, unenviable task of destroying a ring, which he was to, to throw into the cracks of doom in a dark and evil land called Mordor. And his, ta- his, his uh, task is fraught with mortal danger. And Gandalf, the wizard, understands such a perilous journey could cause anyone to become quickly discouraged. So Gandalf, the wizard, encourages Frodo's best friend, Samwise Gamgee, to accompany Frodo on the trip. In fact, Gandalf makes Samwise promise he will never leave Frodo. And uh, several other brave individuals accompany Frodo as well, and together the nine travelers become, as you know, the Fellowship of the Ring. But well into the journey, the lives of those in the fellowship have been endangered on multiple occasions, and so concerned for the safety of his friends, Frodo makes a, a very noble private decision to slip away from his friends and make the remainder of the journey on his own. And so we pick up the scene as Frodo steps into a boat to cross the river towards Mordor. Did you hear what Sam said to Frodo? I made a promise, Mr. Frodo, a promise. Don't you leave him, Samwise Gamgee. And I don't mean to. I don't mean to. That's true friendship. That's love. A true friend offers unconditional loyalty. So Jonathan pledged himself to David. A friend, a true friend, sticks with you no matter what. In fact, there's a proverb that reads, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. A friend loves us at all times, even at times when we are most unlovable. A friend... A real friend is a person who loves us in spite of our faults and failures. No matter how much we blow it, no matter how much we mess up, they are still there for us. They accept us as we are, warts and all. Their love is unconditional with no strings attached. There's another proverb that that reads, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. So a friend who truly loves us has the capacity to overlook or to cover our sins. He or she refuses to stir them up and make them public. Such a friend does not allow our faults and our failures and our sins to get in the way of their friendship and their love. 
I've always liked the saying, real friends are those who, when you totally make a fool of yourself, don't believe uh, you've done, uh, or you've, um, what's it, what is it? You've done a permanent job. They don't think it's permanent. <laughs> I mean, they stick with you. And so how blessed we are if we have friends like that. I mean, we can be ourselves before our friends, our honorary selves, and uh, never doubt their love. I don't know where I, where I found this, but I, I think that this is a, uh, a great expression of what real love and friendship is all about. Maybe you've seen this before, but it goes like this. A friend is a person with whom you dare to be yourself. Your soul can be naked with him. He seems to ask you to put on nothing only to be what you are. He doesn't want you to be better or worse. When you're with him, you feel as a prisoner feels when he's declared innocent. You do not have to be on your guard. You can say what you think so long as it's genuinely you. He understands those contradictions in your nature that leads others to misjudge you. With him, you breathe freely. You can avow your little vanities and indecent hates, your meanness and absurdities, and in opening them up to him, they are lost dissolved in the white ocean of His loyalty. He understands. You don't have to be careful. You can abuse Him, neglect Him, tolerate Him. It makes no matter. He likes you. He is like the fire that purges to the bone. He understands. A friend loves at all times. He or she will love us in spite of our failures and faults. And a true friend loves us in times of adversity, in bad times as well as the good times. A brother is born for a time of adversity, says the proverb. That is, they're not going to desert us when the going gets tough, when problems seem to overwhelm. They're not going to abandon us because they don't want to get involved. It's true, isn't it? In times of adversity, you find out who your true friends are. You find out who really does care about you, and sometimes we realize just how many friends we have, whether we're ill or we're facing a surgery or when we are having emotional, relational problems, our friends, our real friends will rally around us, and what a help and comfort they can be. A true friend is a brother or sister to us in adversity. They help to bear our burdens. They offer their encouragement and their love. But a true friend also looks out for the best interests of the other, even putting their needs above their own. Jonathan could have been, should have been as jealous of David as his father, King Saul. But Jonathan was not jealous of David, but rather he was jealous for David. He was jealous for God's best in David's life. He was jealous for David's success. He was jealous for David to receive and experience the fullness of God's blessings. So it's one thing to be jealous of someone because of their, you know, their prosperity, their success, their intelligence, their talent, and beauty, and so on. But it's another thing to be jealous for someone as Jonathan was for David and to seek the best interests of that person, even when it's costly. And you know what? Jonathan had a lot to lose. He risked losing the favor of his father as well as his own royal future. 
He, remember, he was next in line to the throne. But he cared more about David's happiness and his future welfare than for his own. That's the kind of friend Jonathan was to David. He was willing to sacrifice himself for the good of his friend. And that is love. Jonathan Edwards, who was probably the greatest American theologian, you know, uh, pastor in the 18th century, Jonathan Edwards, uh, said this about love. He said, love is putting your happiness into the happiness of another. Putting your happiness into the happiness of another. And that's exactly what Jonathan was doing with David. Last week, I mentioned the Olympics, you know, how, you know, a lot of us are watching the Olympics, and uh, I was working on a sermon on jealousy last week, and uh, I thought about 24 years ago, if you can believe that, uh, I thought about the Tanya Harding, Nancy Kerrigan affair, uh, which has recently been made into a movie, but you know what, a, you look back on that uh, Olympic scandal, probably one of the greatest sports scandals in history, and and then you wonder, did that actually happen? <laughs> I mean, it is so weird. This is a, was this a, like a soap opera? Or uh, did this actually happen in Olympics history? And, and of course it did. It just kind of blows your mind. But it was driven by, essentially, by jealousy, right? Well, I, uh, it was, and that's a downer of a story, obviously. <laughs> but I, I read, I came across another Olympic story. That is... Uh, so much better, uh, different, kind of the exact opposite of that sad affair. It's a story about a Taekwondo star by the name of Esther Kim, 20, 20 years old. For Esther, going to the Olympics had been her lifelong dream. She came close to embracing that dream at the Olympics trials, where she was scheduled to fight her best friend, K. Po, who was ranked number one in the world in Taekwondo. But Po had injured her knee in the semifinals match and could barely stand up. So obviously, Kim could easily have, been, could easily have defeated Po. But she believed such a matchup would hardly be fair. And so in an instant, Esther Kim decided to forfeit automatically sending K-Po to the Olympics. And the moment she made her decision, Kim knew it was right. I thought, it's not like I'm going to be throwing my dream away. I'm just going to be handing it over to K. She was giving her dream and she was putting it into K's dreams. She was putting her happiness and putting it into K's happiness. I mean, she forfeited her dream, but in her mind, it wasn't a forfeit. The dream continued in K. So, uh, Kim's magnanimity was affirmed when she was given the Citizenship Through Sports Award, which recognizes exemplary citizenship, sportsmanship, ethical conduct, and community service. In addition, the International Olympic Committee agreed to pay for her and for her father, the coach of Kim and Poe, to go to the Sydney Olympics. And some people were critical of her decision, but Kim knows she made the right decision. She says, it was a hard decision to make, but I love Kay like my sister, 
I have cried about it, but in my heart, I know it was the right thing to do. To compete at the Olympics together was a dream for both of us, said Kim, but Kay has always pushed a little harder, always wanted it a little more. We help each other. We push each other. We make each other mad. We make each other cry. I will be there supporting her as always. Even though I didn't have the gold medal around me, she says, for the first time in my life, I felt like a real champion. So how beautiful is that? I mean, that's true friendship. That's real love. That's what I call a, a true love in the spirit of Jonathan, such a spirit of self-sacrifice for a friend. It's truly heroic, and uh, so she's a champion in anybody's book, seems to me. Um, I wish there were more stories like that. But... So do you have a Jonathan in your life? Maybe another way to ask that question is, do you have somebody you can call at three in the morning? <laughs> I mean, do you? And know that they will be there for you, that they'll come running, that they will listen to you. If you have a Jonathan in your life, then you are truly blessed. Don't take a friend like that for granted. I mean, you are blessed. True friends are a great gift from God. One, pa one pastor put it this way. He says, true friendship is a precious commodity. To have a friend who knows you intimately, who knows you inside and out, who knows what makes you tick and who, and who accepts you just as you are, to have a friend with whom you can share your deepest hurts and longings, your doubts and fears and dreams, to have a friend who will listen to you without lecturing and will confront you without condemning, to have a friend who will defend you when you're not around to defend yourself, to have a friend who finds great joy in your success and happiness, to have a friend who looks out for your well-being even at the risk of their own, to have a friend who rejoices with you when you rejoice, a friend who grieves with you when you grieve, a friend who bleeds with you when you're wounded, to have a friend like that is all too rare in our world. But that's the kind of friend Jonathan was to David. Or that Sam was to Frodo. So, are we lacking such friends? Are we sitting here lamenting, oh man, I wish I had a Jonathan in my life? Well, someone gave this very simple advice. If you want a friend, be a friend. I mean, it's kind of simple as that, actually. Instead of wishing you had a friend like Jonathan in, our, in your life, maybe you need to be a Jonathan to somebody else. Is there somebody out there that you can come alongside of and offer some support and encouragement and a little love? Can you lend a helping hand? Is there somebody out there in your circle of acquaintances who's kind of lonely, who's really down? Who could use a friend, somebody at school or at work in your neighborhood, but rather just holding back, feeling lonely, waiting for someone to befriend us, maybe we need to take the first step towards another, reach out and be a friend. And you know, that can be a costly thing to do because it might mean you have to get involved, you know? It may cost you some time. It's going to cost you some energy. Uh, you know, you have to work at a friendship, right? 
and you make yourself vulnerable because what if this person rejects your, 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 uh, your friendship, you know? That happens too sometimes. But if we just stick to ourselves, hoping that somebody will be our friend, we will never know the true blessings of being a friend. It's worth the sacrifice. But now the good news is, and the fact is, is that none of us here really need be alone or feeling forlorn or forsaken. We all have a friend, actually, who is greater than Jonathan. We have someone in our lives who has willingly sacrificed himself for our happiness and our joy. Someone who suffered and who therefore knows what we go through and who knows us through and through. His friendship with us cost him a great deal. No greater love has a man than this, that he should lay down his life for his friends. What a friend we have in Jesus. Blessed are those who know that their best friend is Jesus, because then they will know just how much they are loved and valued by God. Amen?